John, I think we're still trying to finalize some research here, but the the music started. We're live right now, guys. We've got to get going. So anyway, welcome back to the Big Freedom Show. I'm one of your hosts, Charlie Thompson. With me, as always, the king himself, John King. And joining us again, our dear friend that we miss, Nate Thurston. How's it going? It's going great. You guys uh, did an episode without me last week, and I heard I heard it went well. You know, actually, the best thing was that I heard it was the best one so far, and that didn't hurt at all. I wish we could say that we missed you, but uh, yeah, you from know, what I hear, it went swimmingly. We um, didn't we didn't miss the whiskey of the week that mm-hmm. week. It was brought on time. Yeah, that all happened. Well, I'll have to say the one thing you were missing was your very own lispy libertarian over here named <laughs> Nate Thurston. <laughs> And uh, did you guys have a good Thanksgiving, by the way? Yeah, mine was great. The uh, the bacon blanket, happy to report, success as always. And <laughs> since we're here, John, we can go ahead and try those leftovers, right, that we mentioned last week? Unfortunately, there were some scavengers, also known as college students, who uh, happened to take all of the leftovers. Well, maybe next year, since we're all friends here, we'll get invited. Nate, what do you think? Yeah, you know those pesky college students, they're always just grabbing anything they can get their hands on that's free at the moment, you know? So are you asking for a fourth Thanksgiving meal for you <laughs> next year? <laughs> I had several. I had uh, two full-on Thanksgivings on Thanksgiving. It was one of the most uncomfortable days I've had in a long time because I've been on this diet where I'd, I don't eat anything. Uh, I'm, it's a low-carb diet. John was on it, too. And, man, when you switch over and you just pack yourself full of carbs afterwards, it hurts. Y- you unpack it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I saw somebody post, one of my friends posted on Facebook and said, I don't understand the huge deal about Thanksgiving. Can't we just skip to Christmas? And how blasphemous is that? <laughs> I mean... Thanksgiving is the gateway to Christmas. Yeah, do you not eat? Right. <laughs> Everyone Food. eats. It brings us together. Food is amazing. Plus, we don't have the ability to skip the Christmas right now, so why don't we just enjoy Thanksgiving? Right. We can't, you know? we can't change time yet. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of enjoying Thanksgiving, uh, I wanted to talk to you guys about this really interesting article I saw on fee.org. Uh, For those of you guys that don't know, fee.org is a great website to go for free market economics, any uh, tons of economists posting articles on there. They've had everyone from Henry Hazlitt and Milton Friedman, Thomas Sowell, you know, just everyone, Mises, all these guys uh, write articles for fee. So if you want to find some good, some good articles, it's a great place to go. I actually found it because I got rid of Facebook because I felt like it was a big waste of time. And the way that I weaned myself off of Facebook was I used to keep fee as a shortcut on my phone. And anytime I had the urge to go look at uh, pointless articles on Facebook, I would just go to fee instead and read their articles. But anyway. Yeah. So this is how communism almost ruined the first Thanksgiving. It's by Richard Ebling. And essentially this article kind of sums up how the pilgrims first traveled to America, what their life was like, how they decided to uh, direct their means of production and then how, that transpired into kind of the America we have today. And so what he, what he does in here, the beautiful part about this article that I love is he actually quotes a diary of governor William Bradford, who was the head of the colony at the time. And so the first part of the article, if you, if you go out and read it is, is he kind of sums up in his own words, uh, what this story is about. And so he kind of talks about how they started as a commune and almost this communist society that was based off of Plato's Republic. And he talks about how the less industrious members of the colony came late 
to their work in the fields and were slow and easy in their labors, knowing that they and their families were to receive an equal share of whatever the group produced. So what he's saying in his own words for this article, before we get into the diary of Governor William Bradford, he's explaining that the members of the society, the ones who were able to work, who were strong and produced way more than the weak members of society, uh, they weren't getting any more of the share of the crops and things that they were producing. So what I love about this article, again, is that he brings in the history of the actual words of somebody that was there at the time. And so go on, going on to quote Governor Bradford of the Plymouth Co- Colony, he said, to start, to start this out, he said, For the young men that were able and fit for labor and service did repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without compensation, basically. So repine means they, they resented it. So the young men that were fit and could produce a lot more than the older people, they resented the fact that a lot of their time and strength went to other people, went to other men's wives who were doing essentially nothing. What's important to note here, which we'll see later in the article, is that their actual output uh, is lower at this point in time. They, they are almost not producing enough food for the colony to survive. And I think that's, that's something that you'd see in society. It's kind of an Atlas Shrugged kind of thing that the, the people in society that are producing everything, once they find out that by producing more, they don't receive more, they'll stop producing more because there's no reason to work your butt off when the person who doesn't work their butt off still gets to live just like you do. And so the the governor goes on to explain in this first excerpt from the diary is he explains that the meaner and younger sort, the guys who are producing more, thought it some indigent and disrespected them. So they felt disrespected. Like, hey, we're doing more than everyone else. Why, like, why are we getting the same amount? This doesn't make sense. It actually goes to say that the women also as well, you know, at that time they had the women, you know, working on the clothes and they had them dressing the meat and doing all of these things. And, and they said that they felt like slaves because they were working for other people's families. And they really, their, their human nature was that they wanted to be working really hard for their family. And, and that's something that we really can't get around. You're seeing here in the 1600s right now that these people still had the, the natural human desire to just be working for themselves. That's what they wanted to do. And their production, their quality, the overall output of their little economy that they had right there was hurt by the fact that the people who worked the hardest, that had the highest output, were not receiving any more compensation than the people who showed up late to work, the people that uh, wouldn't work as hard, that wouldn't produce as much. They were getting the same thing. And what you see here is that the people who had the higher output stopped trying as hard. I think this really illustrates that we're hearing a lot about democratic socialism now, especially in the Mm -hmm. last election. And everyone says, look, we've tried capitalism. Look what we're left with. This is awful. No one's ever tried. America's never tried socialism before. Well, we did. And it was awful. Charlie didn't even get one Thanksgiving dinner back in those days. (laughs) And they robbed him of a single turkey. That's a problem. Now he's got four. And it only only lasted (laughs) three years. Now, keep in mind, you know, the pilgrims came to America in 1620 and it 
they abandoned this commune system in 1623, three years. These are all people of the same mind, too. They were of a similar religion. They had the same doctrines and beliefs. They thought that they were supposed to be helping each other. And even in that ideal society, an ideal version of it, this just went down like the Hindenburg. And this still happens today, too. I I know some people, and actually, Charlie, you know the same person I do, that... um, I know some people that have gone and lived in communes today. There are still communes that exist today, and that that's great. There should be. If people want to get together on a, on their farm or their parcel of land and decide that they're going to live in a commune, that's great. But from what I heard to the the people that I know that have tried that, that they went there and it was not all it's chalked up to be. A I mean, straight commune does not work. No. A lot of times now you'll see them in sort of a hybrid form where some of the community responsibilities are shared. But other than that, they figured out pretty quick that people have no, to I mean, be rewarded for their you're work. You're going to have people in the commune that aren't going to work, that aren't going to work hard. You know why? Because they don't have to. And as a human being, once you find out that you don't have to kill yourself to make a to make enough money to live on, you'll stop doing it. And eventually, once everyone stops doing that, what are you left with? Yeah, this completely disincentivizes production. And in the end, nobody gets anything. And that's exactly, this article goes on to say that they re, they realize this is happening in three years, three short years. They realize that if they, if they were to do another season like this, they would all starve to death, which is why it says communism almost ruined Thanksgiving because they, nobody, there would have been any food to share for Thanksgiving. This kind of sounds like Venezuela right now. It is. It's, it's a Vene- story of anyone who's North gone through Korea. it. Yeah. It's a story of anyone who's gone through some kind of communist government, you know, that the USSR, you know, Soviet Russia, this is how the same thing happened there. Anytime you find that the hardest working people are supporting the not hardest working people, eventually the hard workers are going to stop working so hard. And the only way they're even able to keep those systems afloat for that long is through corruption. And the, mm-hmm. the hardworking people do get better benefits than the ones that aren't working as hard a- until everyone realizes that and the whole thing falls apart. Yeah. <laughs> You even have people like these, uh, the democratic socialist countries that your your Bernie Sanders fans, the Denmarks, the Scandinavian countries that they talk about. How did they get the money to have a democratic socialist country? Where did that money come from? The money only came from the free market that they had earlier on in the 20th century. They built themselves up to and, be a large government. And they still have a free market. It's just the government siphoning right off in, the top. In it's, a lot of ways, they have a freer market than we do still. they Especially still have, when it yeah, comes to business. Absolutely. They have an easier environment for business in the Scandinavian countries. That's something, I guess we kind of veered off to a Bernie Sanders conversation here, but we all like to do that sometimes. But these Scandinavian countries that people like to point to all the time are, they found out one thing. It's, you can, you can do the high taxes and we prefer you not. But what they did do was they made it very easy for a business to exist in that environment. They have lower business taxes. They have less regulation because they know if they push out the businesses, then there's not going to be any money to spread around. What we haven't found out here in America yet is that you can't have high taxes and high regulations on businesses and still expect there to be this huge pool of money to spread around the people. At least they have an element of transparency there where it's one big number that you look at. Here, we, we take it from you five, six different ways. It's yeah. it's death by a thousand pricks. And also, <laughs> since we mentioned the Scandinavian countries, I'll point out the fact that we're pointing to countries that have the same population as the city of New York. 
And whenever you talk about how we need to model our entire country that is, you know, a few thousand miles across with oceans on both sides and, and all, and, you know, 375 million people, and you talk about how this, oh, this worked in this country that's the size of one city in your countries. Yeah, and these things do not scale. No, they don't. Uh, our country is intentionally supposed to be 50 different countries. That's Mm -hmm. the whole idea of states. We don't get to see that happen much anymore. But these ideas don't scale. That's why Massachusetts can choose to act like one of these Scandinavian countries. But when you try to apply that to Idaho, it doesn't work so well. (laughs) Eventually, a machine or a business, something can get so big that it, it can't function efficiently anymore because it's so big. And a lot of businesses have found this out. AT&T has been finding this out in a different way than we're going to be talking about them, that when you get so big and you're so wide reaching, it becomes really hard to control all the little portions and make sure that everything's happening efficiently. Now, when you're talking about a country of 20 million people, sure, maybe you can control that. Maybe you can handle that. But when you you expand that by, what, 30 times? 20 million people of a specific... <laughs> Or a specific racial origin of a specific yeah. diet of a specific lifestyle. That's a lot easier game to it's play not, than our than the United States. It's not a one size fits all economy. It's Certainly not going to work. Not. They can't even figure it out in California. <laughs> I can't. mean, one state they can't figure it out because California has twenty, thirty million people. Yeah, and for for them to add to give out health care to everybody in California would cost would. Add to the budget an extra $200 billion, and this is a state that's the highest tax state in the entire United States of America. So if they can't even figure out in one state in California or Vermont like they tried, how in the hell do you think they're going to figure it out for the entire United States of America? And I, I just asked Jeeves, and uh, California <laughs> has about 40 million people. Forty million. I was a little off. So, so we're we're double the size of a lot of these uh, these countries that people like to hail as a success story. Why didn't you use Alta Vista? That would have been a lot better, I think. <laughs> you know, on, I, I was stuck chasing the Lycos dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually use Bing for most of my stuff. I like the way that they arrange things. I don't I don't know why. It looks good. You seem like a Bing kind of guy. I don't know. Yeah. It just looks different. I, I like how it looks. I don't, I don't know. But, Every, everything you have is Apple, except you search, I search Microsoft I my, Bing. I search my, my search engine is set to Bing. I don't, I don't know why. Apple doesn't have its own search engine, okay? So I'm sorry. But I, that's a really great article from Fee. I mean, the, do you have some more in that that you yeah, want to go wanna, through? I wanted to circle back because we haven't really transitioned to what they decided to do. After three short years of trying basically communism, they decided a radical idea. The elders of the colony decided to try something radically different. The introduction of private property rights and the right of the individual families to keep the fruits of their own labor. That sounds crazy. That's nuts. I feel like this was certainly the source material for Atlas Shrugged. It, it's very close. So you're saying they tried this, it bombed completely, they decided that they had to go back to a communist society after that. No, no. No, okay. We still see that. Basically, we see a lot of that today. Now, of course, you know, America's been, you know, run over by some different ideologies that have kind of taken our freedoms away from us. But the whole idea of what we talked about on the Big Freedom Show is that we believe in one simple principle of self-ownership. Why? 
because it's worked for thousands or hundreds of years. Not thousands, because we haven't tried it for thousands yet, but for hundreds it, of it, years. It would, it would have worked. For millions of years. Yes. Millions. It would just, have worked for thousands. It's a, thousand a crazy, years. simple idea that I own myself, and I own my property, and I own the fruits of my labor. I own my thoughts. Can you and imagine no one, if this was working for millions of years? Where, wow. How advanced we would be? <laughs> yeah. That's actually... You know, aliens would be looking for us. I know. As an advanced <laughs> life form. We would be contacting other planets by now if we would have done that. Right. This, uh, whoa, we just went into the crazy libertarian Go right ahead there. And, uh, <laughs> hit us up at info at the big freedom yeah. show if you have a story about interacting with aliens. <laughs> Please we, do. We will not talk about it on the air. <laughs> on coast to coast. All right. Um, so, so, what did they do after a few years? What did they do? Governor Bradford put it, so this is coming from his diary again, he said, and so assigned to every family a parcel of land according to the proportion of their number for that end. Now, that's a little different than what we do today, obviously. Like, back then, I mean, there was a vast amount of land, and so each person got... It's like an uh, early, early version of homesteading. Right. So, yeah. It's like, hey, you have a family of five, you get five acres, family of ten, you get ten acres. And that made sense back then because there wasn't a ton of people vying for the same land. They all just wanted... They wanted their own. And they didn't have a monetary system yet where you could work somewhere and, and get money and buy the land. So they that's why they divided it out this way. Because I'm just hearing a, you know, a, a Sanders fan arguing right now and saying, oh, well, see, they gave out land to everyone. And that's why this worked, you know. But that's that's what they had to do. And there was they, no <laughs> value assigned to the land at no, that point. There was no. land as far as you could see and you could just take it. Yeah. And there was nobody to purchase it from. <laughs> Perks of getting there early, I guess. Right. And... So Bradford goes on to say this had a very good success for it made all hands very industrious. What he's meaning is that everybody became more productive because, right, you couldn't count on, you know, stronger people working the land for you. You had to work it yourself to reap your own benefits, to feed your family. What this is what blows my mind. This is basically how the free market got created, because what happened was. As we go on down through the article, eventually what started to happen is next time the harvest came, instead of famine, which is what they were expecting, they had a surplus. He And he said, and the effect of their planting was well seen for all had one way or uh, one way or other pretty well to bring the year about. And some of the abler sort and more industrious had to spare and sell to others so as any general want or famine hath not been amongst them since to this day. All of that old English, what he's basically saying is that those that were able to produce more and had a surplus, guess what? They were able to sell to others. Ding, ding, ding. The free market was born. And that gave people that wanted to be charitable and enjoy the, the feeling that they got from taking care of others. They were given the option to do that. They even found fulfillment in that. Versus being forced to with the gun to their head. What I love about this is that is the very economic point here that when it was a commune, when when the hardest worked to provide for the weakest, that they weren't even produce. These are the same people, mind you, same people. They weren't even able to work enough to produce enough food for everyone that was there. They were worried about a famine the next year. They were worried about starving to death the next year with the same people there. 
and they switched over the following year to everyone working for themselves. And all of a sudden, they have a huge surplus. They have plenty of food. They're able to sell food to people that weren't as good at Sudden, working. Suddenly, there's nothing wrong with the land. Yeah, all, all of a sudden, it's just producing more, right? The, just magically, it's producing more food. And that's because people were working for themselves. They knew, hey, if I produce more than I need, I get to keep more. I get to own that. And the people who are the weakest, they got to sit there and say, man, I better get out there and work. Or I'm going to starve to death. I've got to get... Now, this is an extreme example for, for today's times, but almost it, it really isn't. I, I love <laughs> you know? how simple it is, though. Yeah, it is. that The weakest found out that they had to produce or, or else. So and this was the first big freedom Thanksgiving. This was the... Absolutely. This was the road to four turkeys for Charlie. Yes. Or the weaker people, right? The weaker people who couldn't actually do the farming but maybe they were good at making clothes or things like yeah. that. This is where division of labor came about because the people that weren't so good at farming because they may be weaker, they focused on making clothes and they were able to trade their extra clothes for the people who are really good at farming. They were able to trade the corn or, or whatever they produced. And so everybody ended up being richer. This, this is such an amazing example. It just keeps getting better, honestly. You're, I mean, But what we found out they were really missing was regulation. <laughs> That's what they needed. <laughs> they just needed some regulation yeah. on how much they could produce. So then the ones that were producing less could still be at the top of the pack. Absolutely. And they could have... If only we would have mandated that the people at the bottom were at the top. I can't believe some been government bureaucrat didn't come up with this idea. <laughs> so they yeah, could take it, all the glory for it. that that's uh, not how it worked out. I want to wrap this up at the end of the article because I love the way that this ends. Because what it actually explains is human nature. If you think about communism or a commune or everybody sharing, right? That's what you're taught as a kid. Like, everybody should share. You should be nice to people. That's really, honestly, a great idea. But the problem is, is that human nature doesn't align with that. So what happened was, is they realized that communism was incompatible with human nature. What Governor Bradford goes on to say is he says, let none object. This is man's corruption. And what he means by that is we all have what's called self-interest human nature. It's built into our biology for us to survive we are selfish in nature because we want what's best for us and for our family for survival. And it doesn't really, our brain is not compatible to be communist in sharing with others because our first goal in life is to survive. And so what they realized is, is that they have this corruption in them, right? That's kind of a man's failure that we're, we're not very... Our first thought isn't to be generous. Now, being generous is a great thing, but our first thought isn't generous. Our first thought is, I need to feed myself and I need to feed my family. And in capitalism, we realize that generosity and charity is an exchange of value. We find value in giving to other people. We, we enjoy that sense of fulfillment. And so we're able to make that choice to take care of people. When you're in a commune, you don't get any of that. It doesn't inspire anyone. I think that was an amazing Thanksgiving story that we just picked out. And I, I hope that everyone thinks about this every time while you're eating your leftovers. And uh, next year at Thanksgiving, we've got a perfect example of how we tried communism in this country. It failed within three years. And then the natural human nature took over, which is self-interest. 
And I think it's a beautiful thing. And just to keep this up, we, we, wanna, we want you guys thinking about this when you're on the treadmill trying to burn off your leftovers. Yeah, good, good luck with that. That'll make it go for at least half the year. So like an itch that just won't go away, net neutrality just keeps coming back up. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not even on Facebook. I just use my news app, and all of a sudden, I'm just seeing all this L- stuff. Lucky you. Yeah, it is very lucky. Lucky you know, me. <laughs> it, I, rec- I highly recommend it to everyone. Just get away from it. Get away from Facebook. And uh, that was good, John. I, I did catch that. That was nice. Um, but I've seen some crazy articles about net neutrality. One entitled, Millennials, your internet may never be the same. Some of the memes are mind-blowing. Yeah. They're, they're downright deceptive. Mark Cuban says taking away this regulation gives Trump power over the internet. What? Wait. <laughs> he did. So the FCC rolling, the government rolling back its own regulations somehow gives them more yes. power? This crazy regulation, by the way, millennials, just so you know, the government has had regulations over the internet since 2015. So the internet, as you know it, since those regulations took effect, is going to be changed Snapchat forever. Snapchat will still be here. Yeah. It was here before. <laughs> it's this kind of stuff that you see all the time that just gets people scared. It gets people worked up, and they don't even know what they're worked up about. What's the latest thing you guys are seeing? If you were listening last week, we talked about net neutrality, but we wanted to dive into this again because it just keeps coming up. Like John said, the itch that won't go away, and I've seen some of the craziest things. Even people who are liberty-minded or, or freedom advocators, right? They are for net neutrality. Now, in your mind, it doesn't make sense for anybody who wants limited government to be for government, right? So you have to understand, what where is this coming from? Why do people think that government intervention into a market is a good thing? And I think even for some of my friends, they some they don't understand what a monopoly actually is. The main objection we keep hearing about this is that in rural areas, there may not be multiple choices. We think the free market can shake this out in a major metropolitan area where you've got AT&T, you've got Google, you've got Charter. But what about in a small area, say, like where Nate grew up, where there's barely internet at all? What if the only choice they have is the, quote, censored internet? But I don't think people really understand what a monopoly is. What they're saying is in these small towns, there's basically a monopoly on ISPs, but they're not understanding what a monopoly actually is. And I think, Nate, before the show, you gave the greatest analogy. Your dad owns a grocery store, right? The whole small town idea, trust me, we we all know about small towns here. And the, the town that I'm from... And this is actually happening at my house now. We've only got one internet provider. Guess what that is? A Verizon hotspot. That is how far out there my Could, house couldn't is. Couldn't you use a satellite that doesn't HughesNet work if you want to empty your pocketbook? You know what we found is that it's insanely expensive. And uh, my family... Uh, so that's not a worthy <laughs> exchange of value for you. They feel that they get enough from the Verizon hotspot that they it is not worth it to pay for the HughesNet so far. And they have talked about it, but... What we're seeing in these small towns here uh, is that you only have one option. And is that a monopoly? Well, no, I don't think it is. Because a a monopoly has to be able to stop other competition from coming into the area. And there's nothing about Verizon, the fact that it's the only thing that we can get, that makes it a monopoly. It might be the only corporation that can handle providing service to that area, but it doesn't mean that it shut everyone else out. 
But what if that company was only able to provide service because the government subsidized the installation of that service? So other competition can't, on a financial level, come in because it doesn't make sense because Verizon already took that check. How do you how do you address that? That's a good point. And what I would call that is a that's actually a really great point, because the only monopolies that I think we really have are government created monopolies. And what you just described right there was a monopoly that was actually facilitated by the government that is supposed to stop monopolies. But what if the local residents, they said, we want Internet. The companies can't make enough money to justify coming in. And so we're going to make a taxpayer investment to get Internet. I feel like I've heard this happening before, right? It, it does happen sometimes yeah. because it doesn't make financial sense. For example, in the town where, you know, where you grew up, mm-hmm. there's probably not enough revenue there to justify spending a huge amount of money on infrastructure. People needed internet to be able to do their work and the city came together to make that happen. But that doesn't foster competition in any way because no one else is going to get that money again. But the important part about this is is that doesn't mean that it's a monopoly. And I, I'm going to bring up a quote here real quick. This is, came, is it a functional monopoly, though? It's a functioning monopoly in the fact that what I care about in a monopoly is the fact that other people are free to come in and compete when they want to. And I'm going to quote, this is from a court case in 1991. And I won't go into the court case, but uh, it was a, an antitrust case. And this is from uh, Alex Kaczynski is the, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals judge. And they judged that this particular business was not a monopoly because by the time they got to the case, there were more businesses competing with them, even though when they started the case, there weren't any businesses competing with them. And so what he said was that they obviously couldn't charge them as a monopoly The key to monopoly is not market share, even when it's 100%, but the ability to keep others out of the market. A company that cannot keep competitors out is not a monopoly, no matter how much of the market share it might have at any given time. What do we say to those people that may be in that exact situation I've described where there was a subsidized entry into a market? Should they come together again in order to foster competition? And in that case, how many businesses would want to offer an alternative if they know the market's going to be split? What do we do in that situation? That's the weeds. And that's what that's what I think people are really struggling with is a lot of people just don't have access. They have no choice. And so should they get that dumb pipe? Should they get everything because they don't have options? The issue I have with this is that we're talking about the, the government subsidizing or bringing, bringing in this market because it's such a small area. But the assumption in that is that people somehow deserve or, or have a right to this market to exist in the first place. And the, the issue I see with that is that's the same thing as saying that, you know, for a while there, Amazon didn't have two-day shipping available in small areas. And now they we, still now we've don't. got two hours. Yeah, now the they city. have two-hour shipping. But at the time that Amazon wasn't providing two-day shipping to people in small areas, we weren't saying that the government needed to come in and subsidize Amazon to provide two-day shipping. It was just a service. It was a market that hadn't reached that area yet. But I think one thing that is a distinction here is that we need to treat it differently when it's the local government or a county government or a state government. Obviously, we don't like the federal government subsidizing things, but what if residents do want to come together? That was really kind of how cable companies came about in the first place. So I think the problem here, John, is is that you're we're coming at this from a problem that I don't see needs a a, a specific solution right now. We're talking about the problem being that some people can't get Netflix. 
I mean, is that the is that the problem that we're facing in America right now? Is that that large large cities people can watch Netflix and and small cities people can't? That that's what we're worried about. This, right this now? is actually something that I got a couple of emails about it's, fr- it's, from from our last show. I mean, it was it was really okay. This is great, but what do I do here in any town USA? where I have no choice, do I get screwed because of the fact that these rules aren't in place? Now, we would immediately say they were fine beforehand. What's new? It's like saying I'm disadvantaged because I can't go shop at the Mall of America right now. It happens to be too far away from me. That's the only problem. What if you live, say, in a mountain town where there's no internet? Right. No one goes there. I mean, really, not even cell phone services. But we do need to there. say anybody can get satellite internet anywhere. So yeah. that part Yes, in theory, makes sense, but you can really get internet anywhere in the states at this point. I know Charlie had an interesting conversation with a with a uh, a Facebook friend about the whole idea of net neutrality and and the evil what these evil corporations are going to do if we don't have this federal regulation. And this is uh, unfortunately from someone who calls himself a libertarian. It was very interesting to me because he pointed out. That monopolies given power to pick and choose winners is extremely dangerous, which I agree. But like Nate pointed out, it's not really a monopoly. We have to get past that phrase that we've been taught in grade school. You know, how much of this is semantics, though? What do you mean? Well, whether we call it a monopoly or not, if it's a functional monopoly, choice is limited. I just feel like the the word monopoly gets thrown around so much. I completely agree. You have people say like, oh, Walmart's a monopoly. Of course they're a monopoly. Well... Uh, not no, they're really not. I haven't gone to Walmart in a long time. You know why? Because there's other places I can go. And they aren't carry Walmart. terrible products. And for me, I don't want to spend my time doing that. As terrible as this may sound, I might catch a lot of flack for this. If you want but, to give him some flack, hit him up at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. <laughs> Carry on. Well, I've actually got my own, Charlie, at thebigfreedomshow.com. <laughs> I didn't think we were ready to bring that out. That's yet. where the real emails go <laughs> yes. to. Yes. So please send me all your hate mail there. I would love to read but them. But copy... Info at thebigfreedomshow.com so we can all know (laughs) how much crap you're giving Charlie. My contention is the basis of liberty and what we pointed out at the beginning of the show is private property. Since when does the government get to tell an internet service provider that spent their own money laying lines that they have to provide certain content? Now... These, hypo- these hypothetical scenarios that everyone's worried about if net neutrality is rolled back, that they may be plausible, but they're never going to happen because ISPs care about uh, providing value to the consumer. So they're not going to block Amazon or block Netflix or anything like that. His argument was that in a free market, companies compete by offering a better product or cheaper price. They don't win by using physical force to restrict competition. And he also went on to say that if Walmart uses a road, Kroger just can't blow up Walmart's road so customers can't go there. And that, I agree with that, but you have to look at who owns the road to begin with. But what if government offers exclusive use of a public right-of-way only to one company? That's what we saw with with AT&T and Bell South back in the day, and that's really still happening right now, that has affected things because the government is involved in that and they don't necessarily give equal access to everyone. What do you say to those people? We've still just got a government-created monopoly at that time. And I agree with that. I'm just saying for the people that are getting screwed here, what do what's our solution for them? Uh, obviously, <laughs> in a perfect world, 
I agree with all of this, but what do we do for those people that are that are currently getting screwed? They may have Comcast out in the middle of nowhere and they can't get to their websites in their mind. I understand that's not happening right now, but that's going to be the pushback that we get. That's what I'm getting messages about. And I promise you what I keep saying is if that hypothetical scenario does happen, the market is much more capable of taking care of it than any government regulators. Because the problem is, is my biggest fear when we go into, and Judge Andrew Napolitano said this too, when net neutrality was being talked about, my biggest fear is that within the net neutrality rules, the FCC has the right to determine what is legal, which means if net neutrality was in place when Edward Snowden came out, we would have never known who he was. We would have never saw the leaks. We would have never known that our Fourth Amendment rights have been trampled on because the FCC would have determined that information that he leaked to be illegal and they wouldn't allow any content providers. They would have regulated the content providers to make sure no one in America received that information. That's the danger we run into when government has the chance to regulate the freest thing we have right now, which is the Internet. Have you had a chance to look at the new proposal that the new FCC chair has put out? Yeah, basically all he wants is that for the ISPs to be transparent. He's going to force them to disclose any traffic prioritization or things that they might be allowing or disallowing. Other than that, all of the Obama era stuff rolls back. Do you guys see that as a good thing? See, it's an amazing thing. What about you, Nate? I see it as a better thing. Uh, I wouldn't specifically say good. I don't like the idea that they have to disclose who they are and who, who they aren't giving preferential treatment to. Um, the thing is, kind of what Charlie was saying earlier, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the internet and, and we're, we're talking about, you know, everyone's talking about the internet like it's some kind of naturally occurring thing on earth that we all have a natural right to. It's just not a naturally occurring phenomenon, guys. The lines for the internet were all laid there by people who spent their own money to put it there. And if you, Charlie, I don't know if you've never laid an internet line before, right? You nope. didn't go, Char, John, did you, have you physically dug holes I'm supposed to be doing this next week, actually. Really? Okay, yeah, well, that's I, good. I, I have a friend who's going to allow me to pull some fiber, a little extra Christmas yeah, cash, some so real when, life experience. So when yeah. it comes to I'll things... I'll report back afterwards. Go ahead, Nate. When it comes to things like this, I'm sorry that some people... I guess what we're talking about is some people somewhere won't be able to use Netflix um, or they won't be able to, I don't know, they won't be able to send 4K Hypoth video over the internet. Hypothetically. Hypothetically. That's not even exactly what's happening right now. We're talking hypothetically. But all we're talking about is using the road scenario. We're talking about a road that someone else built. And all we're talking about is that what the government has the right to tell them how they're going to use that. Even when the government has its own roads, physical roads, they charge different people differently. If you drive a semi-truck over a toll road, you're going to pay more than a car is going to pay because you used more of that road than the car did. The, own, the government itself charges more for roads for people who use the roads more. So all we're talking about is the internet. They need to have the freedom themselves, the people who created the lines themselves, to charge what they want to charge to the people who are using up all of the bandwidth. And even in a quasi-monopolistic situation, we're, we're once again using that very loosely. Ultimately, the free market is still going to win out here. 
even if there's one choice, a town of a thousand people only has one option. If nobody's signing up for their product and that's wasted infrastructure, they're going to change their ways. Eventually, there's value there for them to offer a real internet. And so there could be a little bit of purgatory in the middle, but eventually it's going to move back to the free market side because people won't pay for something they don't like. And I have a beautiful thing that the free market did. I came across this Reddit post. I'm not a big Reddit person. I I don't quite understand it. You can lose a lot of time there. You can. But I came across this amazing Reddit post. You could look it up. It's www.libertybroadbandllc.com slash hello dash Redditors. And basically what this guy did, he used to be a contractor in Afghanistan and his wife, luckily, she is a network engineer. So obviously she knows a little bit about networking networking and ISPs. Good for her. So <laughs> they live in a small mountain community, and it doesn't exactly say where, but it's, it's a small mountain community. And they figured out that the internet is overpriced. It's $80 a month for only three megabits. And so what he did, he's like, you know what? I'm, I don't really like this only option that we have. So I decided to start my own. And this guy literally, they're, they're launching in January, and this guy came out with his own ISP, and for 25 megabits a second, he's charging $50. For 50 megabits a second, $80. And 100 megabits a second, $125. Now, it's a little bit steeper than what we pay here in Nashville, but this guy literally decided that this is a free market. I can create competition myself, provide great internet service to me and my small community, give everybody another choice. And he only needs, this is the best part. He only needs 24 houses to break even. And this just goes to show you, there is a free market solution to this. People will come up and they will offer options. And the last point I wanted to make about net neutrality was that we've seen this happen before in other markets. When the government comes in and says that, hey, internet providers, you can't charge more to someone else than you do to another person. They start instituting price controls. And we've seen this. You guys brought up the healthcare market in the last episode. We've seen this happen before. When you tell them, hey, you can't charge more to Netflix than you do to uh, the guys who own Ask Jeeves, then what they're going to do is they're going to come in there and they're going to charge Ask Jeeves the price that they wanted to charge Netflix. What happens is your bottom price becomes the top price that you wanted to charge. Then Jeeves is going undercover completely. And so what they wanted to do, they wanted to charge more to the people that are using more internet. And now, if they're not allowed to do that, what's going to happen is everyone is going to get charged more because that's the price they need to operate. And we're going to find that this is going to hurt people overall. If we go back into more net neutrality regulations, you're looking at the Internet becoming more expensive if they actually did get back into this again someday. So I'm really glad that they took the regulations off instead of putting some on for change. Yeah, I think that sums everything up pretty nicely. That's that's sort of where we want to leave this. I hope we don't have to talk about this again. Please, no. Facebook, stop. (laughs) And and that's it for this week's episode of The Big Freedom Show. Email us at info at thebigfreedomshow.com. Follow us on Twitter at Big Freedom Show, at Big Freedom Show. 
And follow me at twitter.com slash libertarian. Thank you. <laughs> Any feedback you've got, we love it. Keep it coming. Subscribe. Save the show. Spread it around. Thanks, you guys. We'll catch you next week.